0: Hello, welcome to the Let's Talk podcast from the University of Edinburgh, where we talk about life and all it throws at you at university, focusing on challenges to our mental health. I'm Harriet Harris, the university chaplain, and today I'm talking to psychology undergraduate Stephanie McNair and assistant principal and professor of engineering, Alan Murray. In the podcast today, you'll be hearing people discussing putting perfectionism behind us, feeling that we're not good enough and fearing that we're going to fail or that we have failed. We're coming at these topics through the lenses of grief and depression, which Stephanie and Alan have brought to the conversation. And we're going to think about how to bring positives out of the negatives, realizing that you've learned a lot through the things that you've been through and that we want to live life to the full and live each moment as it comes. It's really nice to be here this morning uh, with with the two of you. So we've got uh, Stephanie McNair. Stephanie, you're a third year psychologist undergraduate, yeah. is that right? Yeah. yeah. Do right. you want to say a bit a bit about who you are?
1: Um. Yes. Yeah, so I'm from Scotland. Um. I study psychology, and yeah, I just I'm really interested in mental health. Uh, so I kind of thought I would be involved today to try and um, start the conversation. Yeah. around that.
0: That's great. You saw it on Facebook, didn't you? And thought. Yeah. Thought that's great. This isn't talked yeah, about that much. Yeah, I just that thought much. that was something
1: quite interesting to do, something yeah. new. Um, yeah, and a good. I think it's a good way to podcast. Is a good way to sort of talk about it, really. Um, yeah. In quite a quite a relatable way, I think.
0: I, I love listening to podcasts when I'm out walking or on the train or something. Yeah, and you exactly. Feel like I learn mm. a lot from people's yeah. experience. Yeah, it's
1: so relaxing yeah. just to to listen and not feel like you have to watch something.
0: It's yeah. So Alan, will you introduce yourself?
2: Sure thing. Yeah, I'm a lot older. <laughs> I'm Alan Murray, I'm a professor in engineering and I'm assistant principal for academic support. And I'm 66 years old, so I'm a good deal older than Stephanie.
0: Thank you very much. So I'm sure we're going to be ranging around a lot of topics today because um, all emotions run into each other and Hmm. different mental health issues affect one another um, and life is life. Um, uh, We've we've come together um, to think about issues around fear of failing, um, feeling like an imposter, which is such a common feeling, imposter syndrome, um, wondering if we ought to be reaching for perfection. But we've all got backstories that might take us in these routes. But because that was um, our uh, uh, kind of topic that we were given today, I've bought you each a present. Um, and now, Alan, you wondered if it might be a bar of chocolate or a bar of or plasticine. It's not either of those. Do you, can you work out what it is and what it says? You yes, can work so out I what can see what it yeah. is. Very
2: really <laughs> useful device.
0: It, yeah. <laughs> so it's a big eraser, for rubbing out and what does it say on it for really big mistakes yeah (laughs) so I've got one of those in my um, room and I have to say I love it and um, one of the things I one of the things I love about it is that um, it makes me feel um, like I could go out and make some big mistakes because actually (laughs) you can you can get beyond them you know they're not the end of the world they're not the end of the world so it makes you feel like you could you could just you could try and you can make a big mistake but it also makes me feel that there is, um, there's mercy and forgiveness out there, you know, it's it, making a big mistake, it's okay, you know, it's, you'll, you'll, you'll be forgiven. No, other, <laughs> people, not, other people, not, people not, generally forgive you yeah. faster than you'll forgive yourself. That's true, yeah, yeah, so we need to, 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 one of the things we want to learn is to forgive ourselves, don't we, and forgive the past I suppose, hmm. as well. Yeah. yeah be mm-hmm. kind to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Stephanie, do you want to start with what it was like in your first year at university? What happened in your first year at university and
1: Um yes, yeah, sure. So, basically um at the end of my first year at university, um, my dad passed away suddenly. It was right before exams. Um and it was just very sudden, so you know, it was very hard to deal with. Um well, I was in my first year, so I'd already had to, you know, adapt to university and cope with all the changes involved in that. And I did struggle with my mental health in my first year as well. So for that to have happened then, it was just very, um, very hard to deal with, really. Um, And yeah, since then, I've just been trying to gradually manage, you know, again and get back to who I am and yeah, try and manage everything, I think. So my mental health and grief and yeah, everything because it kind of caught up with me.
0: Sounds like a lot on your plate all at once. Definitely. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so yeah, I did have a, a an interruption of study for a year um, after my dad passed away, which I was really unsure whether to do that because I've been a perfectionist in the past and I didn't think, I'm not sure. I just, you know, I kind of did judge myself basically about it. But yeah, that really helped me just to adapt to the changes that were going on at home and in my family life and things like that. Um, so yeah, um, coming back to university, After that was quite hard, kind of with, uh, because my dad was like a big role model for me, kind of to get to university and in terms of all of that kind of thing. You know, he used to be a big encouragement, Mm. um, basically, with education and that kind of thing. So, you know, coming back to university was quite difficult to try and feel capable and try and feel
0: good enough, really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Your confidence was really really
2: knocked yeah absolutely yeah um your dad sounds like like a good guy
0: yeah Yeah, he really Uh, was
2: the the year out and that's an interesting one because it's a long-term director of studies personal tutor it's a difficult decision that because it can be better to just batter on
1: exactly sometimes
2: Um, yeah and other times that's exactly the wrong thing to do and what you need to do is press the pause button sort your head out and then come back again it's a really tricky one that and even if yeah. you're just suffering from a short bout of depression, there's a point at which coming back to work is better than sitting at home contemplating your belly button. Yeah. And it's a very individual <laughs> decision. Very individual. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Um, I've also really struggled with like making decisions due to my mental health as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, surely
2: not. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so common.
1: Yeah. So, you know, making a decision like that as to whether to take that amount of time off or not mm. was just very difficult. And it was only me that could make that decision.
0: Okay. Did you have people to talk to about it?
1: Definitely, yeah. Um, I spoke to my family and my friends. Um, yeah, I tried to get a variety of different opinions. Mm. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I kind of realised, like, your health is just so important and, you know, university is always going to be there. Um, and it's nothing to be ashamed of, really, if you have to take some time off. So and that's kind of what made me decide, really. Um,
0: so those then, sound like really good, good ways to decide. So it was a mixture of university will still be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, your health comes first. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and then so when you reached that, were you then? Did you then feel quite decisive? Did you did you kind of get to a point of yeah, okay, now I can see. Yeah, I felt kind of, of passionate about
1: mm. about that and just looking after myself and kind of just taking it a little bit easier, really, because I have in the past at school and things like that worked excessively, like okay. studying wise and that kind of thing, and I didn't want to be like that when I'm already dealing with other issues. Really. Ah, so
2: okay, mm. that's a good. I mean, good investment for later life because it took me a long time to realise that I couldn't make the world perfect for myself and for everyone else in my family. And for a long time, I kind of did. But then, when that ability to con- not control but to make everyone's life happy uh, sort of mm-hmm. slipped away, I had problems. So. Make that decision, make that move now that realise that the world is not going to be perfect, even if you want it to and you make your best endeavours to make it so. It won't be.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I absolutely get that bit about making decisions when you're in the depths. You're, you're, you can't make decisions. There's a song which we'd play if we had copyright. <laughs> uh, this is the old hippie and me coming out, John Martin, who's spent most of his adult life drunk, I think, but was a terrific songwriter. And he wrote a song called Solid Air which is about a friend of his, Dick Drake, who suffered from actually bipolar depression. He was really bad. He didn't have particular reasons for being depressed, like in grief, he just was. Mm-hmm. And the song's called Solid Air, because when you're in that bottom of a depression, it's a bit like you're walking in solid air. You can't move, you can't decide. Yes. It's just things are impeding every process, everything you do. I think it's just a fabulous song. Go and look it up. We can't play it to you, but go and look it up. Okay.
0: But we've given it as a recommendation. We've given, so John thank you Martin, that. And, yeah. given John Martin a plug. Yeah, John Martin Solid Air, because so, it's so helpful to be able to say to be able to say to others, "This is how it feels," and mm. it's so helpful to others who haven't experienced that mm. or, or and want to weigh in to knowing, what it, you know, to having a sense of it, to, yeah. to have something that well, points
2: them. If I can just butt in a little bit, there, I have a really interesting sort of take on that. My wife suffered from depression when she was a lot younger, um, a couple of times. Once was postnatal; the other was related to the adjustment from school to university and all of that. And then she suffered it again when her dad died. Um, then she suffered it after I had, and having watching someone going through it after you've seen, had it yourself is not nearly as bad. Right. It's not as scary. Because when you're outside it looking in, it's terrifying. When you've been through it and you know how bad it is and you come out the other side, as you will, then you, when you see someone else with it, you think, okay, this is not terrifying. I know what's going on here. I know how this person's feeling. I'm going to make cups of tea, but I'm not going to try and make it better because I know I can't. So there's a kind of knowledge, but it does bring you out better mm. able to interact with people who are depressed. Yeah. And it doesn't. I'm not spooked by the fact that my wife has depression from time to time because I know it happens and I know she'll come out of it.
0: That's key, isn't it? Because it's one thing to be depressed or anxious or rocked by the feelings of grief the anger and, and and it's another thing to add on top of that the fear of the fact that you're anxious the fear that you're worried hmm. what in because yeah. that grows the worry or the fear mm-hmm. that you're depressed and what will happen or the fear that you're F- angry fear you and know. anger are
2: not useful emotions in this yeah. <laughs> they really aren't yeah. fear and yeah. anger get in the way of getting on top of your depression Mm-hmm. Or getting, getting on yeah. top of, getting past your depression. You don't get on top okay. of it; you get past it, okay. and you get on with stuff.
0: Come through it. Would you say you come through it? Would that is that a helpful?
2: Uh, various analogies. I don't like the idea of fighting. I think I think generally the medical profession don't like to talk about fighting cancer and fighting depression. No, it's not the fighting. Too, it's too warlike. That's too. It's not that. It's about relaxing into it and about mm. letting it pass, mm. and letting allowing yourself to realise that it has passed and actually. You're not quite right yet but you're getting there and if you give time you will get there so fear is not helpful because no. it stops you doing that mm-hmm. and anger is not helpful because it turns away potential sources of help
0: okay yeah whereas the the sorts of things you were talking about around acceptance actually aren't they and mm-hmm. the, the relaxing in yeah. you think just you, r- just roll with it relax the muscles as well
2: relax the muscles and um, if you can find some sort of relaxing thing to do uh, i mean if you do you have hobbies things you do that are not studying
1: well, I love music, so I just listen right. to a lot of music. Um, that really helps me.
2: That's a big one.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. That's the main thing I do, really, mm. when I'm not feeling good, is mm. listen to music.
0: Do you have some that you particularly like that you want to...
1: I do like quite a lot of different music, mm. um, so it's hard. Um, yeah, there's a, ba- a band called um, The War on Drugs. It's quite a strange name, but um, they have really good music. Um, mm. It's just quite emotional and passionate and... But yeah, I just really like that music. It just mm. kind of makes me feel not alone in
2: mm.
1: kind of the emotions I'm feeling. And what you're feeling, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. And sometimes yeah. music, I find sometimes music will feed the emotions you're feeling. So sad music, if you're feeling sad, possibly isn't a bad thing, actually. You just allow that to happen. The music sort of gives you something to listen to and feel sad. Yeah, yeah. And then there's other things like that. The other one I would have talked about is um, Elbows One Day Like This, which is one of these stadium punching the mm. air, waving your mm-hmm. scarf which lifts you up. Uh, and there are, some things yeah. I, there are some things I can put on and I can't possibly listen to them without smiling. They're just such happy songs. But, you know, that's not going to work if you're in the depths of despair. You've got to sort of allow yourself to come out of that first. But music, music for me is colossal.
1: Yeah, I feel like, yeah, when you're like not feeling good, like, you know, it doesn't really help to listen to, doesn't always help to listen to really happy music, you know, because no. sometimes you just want to, you just want to feel the emotions you're feeling and, you know, not completely trying to distract yourself all the time from them you know I don't feel like that's well you've got to, let, you've healthy, you got to let yourself have them exactly and,
2: you, and if the music feeds them to the extent that you think okay that's a sad song somebody was feeling sad I'm feeling sad this is a, oh, sounds terribly kind of clinical but if you do that you allow yourself I think that there is a danger of wallowing in your emotions and I've done that and I've watched people do it and it's not helpful but you've got to let them happen and if the music can actually let you just be yeah. quietly sad and relaxed for a while Mm-hmm. Think about your dad. If you know, if a few tears fall, then the world doesn't come to an end, and that's that. You need to allow these emotions to happen. And some music, mm-hmm. I find music more than anything. For some people, it would be painting. For others, I guess it might be walking in the hills. I like I like these things too, but music's the one that speaks to me. Yeah. And and you know, if I put on the right piece of music, I know there are some pieces of music that will make me go quite sad and reflective. I know there are others I'll just want to turn it right up and deafen the neighbours. So I use I can use music just to listen to, but I can also use it to manipulate my own
0: emotions. So we want to connect with ourselves, don't we? Yeah. So if music, music helps yeah. us to connect with ourselves, and then yeah, actually, even in the sadness, if you've got a, if you feel that you've made a connection, um, there's a there's almost an element of sort almost like joy in a way when you've made a con- when you felt I've act- okay now I have. Mm-hmm. Now I've got myself. <laughs> I've right. understood myself. You've I've made sense it. of it. Yeah, like pinpointed yes. the
1: emotion, yeah. and the feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And
2: you made sense of it, and you realise yeah. other people have had similar emotions because they've written songs about it.
1: Exactly. And you
2: don't feel so bad and so alone. Right. And for other people, it's going out and playing football. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other things I do too. That I don't do them to keep myself happy, but they help because I make teddy bears. Do you? Yeah. Really. Yeah. Well, I designed to make teddy bears. I write songs, mm. I find that's a way of getting my emotions out. Mm. Um, I've written a very angry song about Brexit, for example, so there's that <laughs> one, but I've, uh, the most difficult thing of all I've found, this, this is slightly off topic, is to write a good love song.
0: Mm.
2: I now have one which I'm fairly happy with having about ten that I'm not, because okay. they always come out as, ooh, I love you, baby, baby, moon, June. Um, it's easy to write one that says, my baby's left and I'm sad. That's an easy song to write. To write one that just says, I have a woman, I love her, it's wonderful. Mm. That's really hard.
0: Mm.
2: Mm. Do try it sometime.
0: <laughs> so you've had, this is quite a good way to move into thinking about perfectionism. You've, you've had, you had 10 goes and, until you got one that you feel happy with. Yeah, but yeah. I, I enjoyed so, the 10 goes. It was yeah, fine. I a, yeah. That's
2: the sort of, and teddy bears is very much the same. You make a teddy bear, you're trying to make a Winnie the Pooh, and it comes out looking like Frankenstein.
0: Frankenstein. So you, 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 <laughs>
2: so you realise what's wrong, and you modify it. And next one's a lot better. So that's. I mean, I think that's something people don't realise about doing craft stuff. Is it's never. You it, it shouldn't be goal driven. It should be the process of doing it, and eventually something emerges at the end that you're happy with.
0: But but it's you see, it's you, the doing it that's important. That's right. And if you enjoy the process, that that's mm. a really good inoculation against perfectionism, isn't it? It is, it, yeah. Which, it's, which it's is about reaching a perfect end and yeah. not, you know, if, if if one's caught in perfectionism, you just get angry about things that mm. aren't working out right. Yeah.
2: And songs yeah. are like that, you're right. Mm-hmm. There's lots of songs I've written that have never seen the light of day because they're dreadful, but I quite enjoyed trying to write
0: them. Oh. Stephanie, you were saying that you had been, had you? were you saying you'd been quite perfectionist at school? Had I understood that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah I had been really perfectionistic at school. Um yeah, I just kind of, well, I did struggle with my mental health at school as well. And um, I used, like, studying as a kind of coping mechanism almost. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did mm-hmm. become quite perfectionistic, really. Um,
2: I think you can do with schoolwork because it's much more cut and dried.
1: Exactly. But when
2: you come to university, especially doing something like psychology, th- there isn't a single right answer most of the time. So it's No, you can't, exactly. you can't strive for that kind of perfection.
1: Exactly, yeah. So I feel like, actually, now, like, I'm learning, like, you know I'm kind of coming out of the perfectionism a little bit because I realize like it's just not you know it's just not really possible like when you're at university too much you know because you know it just isn't really whereas at school like grades are more Mm -hmm. kind of set in stone and yeah I think it can yeah it can be quite difficult at school I think to deal with kind of that kind of high standard of yourself.
2: Again, congratulations on doing that because it's a good lesson to learn. Perfectionism actually is really a bad thing because sometimes what the world needs from you or what your boss needs from you is a solution that's good enough now, not a perfect solution at the end of next year.
1: So perfectionism,
2: you know, purely practically, setting aside mental health, perfectionism, if you're making a crystal glass, is probably necessary. But in a lot of things, to be perfect actually means that you're going to be late Mm -hmm. and a late solution is sometimes no use at all.
0: It also lets no one else in, does it?
2: (laughs) Well, it is. It's a sort of selfish thing because you're sort of hermetically sealing yourself and saying, "I'm going to make my world perfect. The rest of you can push off." Make my world perfect. Um, So there's a kind of, for me, I would, if you look back on it, I would say there's a kind of selfishness in thinking that I could make everyone in my family, everyone I loved and cared about, happy all the time. There's a kind of there's an arrogance in that. If you look back at it, I don't think, I think it makes me a nice person, but it, there is an arrogance in thinking you can do that.
0: Probably made, did it make you a stressed person? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Laterally, I mean, if it, in the early stages when the kids were little, um, you know, everyone was having fun, everything was fine, then it, I had built up this sort of false illusion that I could have this happy, perfect family all living a happy, perfect life and we all be happy and perfect. Uh, and again, it's not a bad aspiration, but it's not a good one. It's in the sense that it's not a sensible one, it is perhaps
0: it's not a wise one. Not yeah. a wise one, because mm.
2: life does shit things sometimes, mm. and you have to cope with that. So,
0: mm.
2: getting rid of perfectionism is, a, Stephanie, is a good thing to do at an early age.
0: Absolutely, F- yeah. for
2: you and for the world that's going to need you as an employee.
0: So, can you feel it falling away, Stephanie? Is that?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not bad originally to have perfectionism. I think because you know I think it just shows you care and Mm -hmm. you're you know you're clearly conscientious I think if you are perfectionistic so I don't think it's you know a bad thing but you know I think it's when it kind of hinders you and stops your progress to an extent like you need to you know try and manage it really and yeah I've just kind of I mean it's not been a kind of conscious thing but um, I've kind of realised over time that it's just not really attainable to kind of Mm -hmm. strive for you know the top all the time because you know, yeah, like struggling with your mental health and dealing with other things, and like, yeah, just not everyone can be perfect all the time. It's just not, you know, it's just okay. not fair on you and it's not fair in the world like, to have that.
2: No, it's stronger standard. than that. Actually, no one can be perfect all the time. No, no. So, um, you know, no. if, if, any, if you do anything, don't strive for perfect mental health because you won't get it. Yeah. Even, even when you're back to yourself and feeling fine, as I am now, you'll have crap days. It'll yeah. happen.
0: I think one of the one of the the toxic aspects of perfectionism is is thinking that unless you've done something perfectly you are not worthy and you will not be wanted you know that that's often at the root of it that I've you know when you think well why why is it that you want this to be perfect it's mm-hmm. you know it yeah. might be because actually you want to be accept you know you want to to be acceptable to those your peers or your family or yeah. your... yeah
1: yeah, yeah, I think it can link into like not feeling good enough and
0: hmm.
1: when you kind of challenge the belief of not feeling good enough and you kind of question that, that can help with breaking out of perfectionism.
0: So can you say a bit more about that then, about the not feeling good enough?
1: Um, I have kind of struggled with not feeling good enough at university um, since I kind of started. It's been, yeah, I can't really say like where it's came from um, but I have always kind of had low self-esteem. And confidence, anyway. um, Since I was at school, so um, obviously coming to university and having kind of more pressure and more expectations of you and um, more expectations of yourself, you know, it can it can kind of make like the thoughts start like of you know, okay, am I good enough? You know, do I deserve to be here? That kind of thing.
2: At school, I was the brightest kid in the class, easily. That sounds terrible, but it's, you know, in the context, it's necessary to know that. Came to university, and there were lots of people like me, and brighter than me, mm-hmm. and I'm now dealing with PhD students who are brighter than I am, which is fine, but at the age of 18, that was terrifying. Suddenly, I found myself, instead of being a big drip in a small puddle, I was a an ordinary sized drip in an enormous puddle.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it should progress through your, like, you know, your academic career kind of thing, like... You know that kind of worry of not being good enough might not completely disappear, but yeah, it's just kind of managing that. And mm-hmm. um, I think I think at the beginning, like of you know university or whatever it is, like the big the big first step basically to what you want to do, I think can be the hardest because you know you are with people similar to you who mm-hmm. are also starting at the same kind of level. You're um, frightened of the same
2: things as you are, probably
1: exactly. So I think that's kind of the most scary time. But I think you just have to persevere through that. And keep going and, you know, you, you will gain self-belief and confidence by doing what you enjoy and what, what you want to do and, you know, by making progress, really. But I think at the start, like at the start of university or whatever, you know, it can be, like, the feeling of good enough can be I think, the hardest probably to mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. deal with, I imagine, but I can't say for sure, obviously. So, so many Eventually people.
2: you find out where you are, you know, your own progress yeah. will tell you where you sit. Yeah. And... You know, you may be in the middle of the class, you may be at the top of the class, but you are good enough. You should be here, and it takes time before you sit. You find out you might not be. Well, I'm not, for example. I'm in a, running a project just now, and I'm not the best scientist in this project, not by a long way. I can cook. I'm not bad, but I'm far and away the best front man for it. I do the front of house mm-hmm. stuff, and the, isn't it all great fun? Let's, it's very jolly. Let's do this. So that's my skills. So mm-hmm. I know at my age, I now know I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not so good at, and I've found out in the last ten years some things I'm really, really not good at.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually, that's one of the benefits of failing, actually, because you mm. you find out what you can do and what you can't, and and of yeah. the and the, of the acceptance as well. So you've recognised that you're a good front man. There might be others who <coughs> who are good anchor people. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be others who are the real envisioners. There might be the others who are the real logicians. Um, and you don't you don't want all of you to be um, good the, at one thing you the want everyone to be good at different things yeah yeah well you don't, yeah. you don't want everyone to be good at everything because that wouldn't actually you would start to cancel each thing out but you want you want people who are good at different things and to know that they are good at that thing and therefore um, they can really go for that and not step on your toes while you're doing the fronting mm. yeah. <laughs> because that's your bit you yeah, know learning, so, learning, yeah. your,
2: learning your skills and your weaknesses yeah. takes longer than is optimal actually but when you get mm. it when you get there I think it's a good place to be
0: it's a good place because yeah. yeah. the
2: thing that made me suffer depression was where I found my my weakness was found and it was pressed on hard right so i right. will come back to that but i mean okay. that's that's what happened okay. is i have a i have a weakness in the context of being a manager if you like which is related to the stuff we we're talking about about perfection mm-hmm. and making everyone happy and that's what nailed me
0: okay yeah well we we'll co- let's come back to that in mm. a moment yeah don't
2: want to interrupt yeah, no so it's right
0: just thinking about um the the feeling that you're not good enough or Um, imposter syndrome is is often referred to, it's so common at university and one of the things I wanted to ask you Stephanie is whether it ever helped um, for people to say to you there'll be others feeling the same as you, did anyone ever say that to you or did you realise that that lots of people are feeling like that and did it make any difference?
1: Yeah, yeah. so even just realising there's a term for it, imposter syndrome like helped so much Um, obviously there's so much online about it um, and like Reading other people's experiences online and, you know, other students dealing with that and that kind of thing has really helped me. Yeah, just even realizing there's a term for it really helped, you know. It kind of made me realise like it's maybe not just all in my head, the kind of issue, and you know, it can maybe be overcome and there can be, you know, things to do to kind of help it and things like that.
0: What thing and what things do you would you say help? So I think doing things that
1: um make you feel good and that, you know, you feel you're good at, um, I guess. I don't know, it's quite hard. Um.
2: I, think you've, I think you've nailed it actually. When you have doubts, f- pick out the things that you know you have no doubts about, or very few Yeah, you're most about confident about, basically. Go, go for that, um, go for things you're confident about, and build your confidence mm-hmm. that way. And isn't the other thing, useful thing, as you say, is having a name for it, naming the beast. Absolutely. Naming yeah. the beast often helps you to say, okay, that's what I'm suffering from. My, yeah. my daughter suffers it, she's a, an advanced nurse practitioner from time to time can't believe she's actually that and therefore doubts her ability to diagnose and, and has a bit of a tailspin mm. and it's to do with being a high achieving woman um, mm. in a world where it's all high achieving males
1: Yeah so I kind of feel like um, like naming it can help because you know you can kind of realise you're not alone mm. and you know you can you can find out that people that you think are amazing and really capable and confident and yeah like you just wouldn't think have that kind of lack of self-belief you can you know finding out these people also feel the same way is just so refreshing and kind of comforting mm. you know and that kind of makes you think oh, okay well if they feel like that, that way then you know am I you know and if they feel not good enough when they are, like maybe it's the same with me. You just, you know, so it, doesn't it doesn't mean kind of you're makes not you think. Enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just kind of makes you think about yourself. Really finding out about other people's feelings and experiences and things.
2: And you don't, you don't know how people are feeling because um, mm. one of the big shocks in my school when I crumpled was that everyone was totally shocked because they all thought I was an extremely laid-back, confident individual running things comfortably, enjoying himself. Because I'm quite good at covering up, so. People were genuinely shocked when I, t- I sort of collapsed very p- very publicly. I went into my office one morning, sat down at my desk and stared into space, not knowing what to do.
0: And, uh, and what happened then? Did somebody come and find you?
2: Well, my um, director of professional services came and found me and said, are you all right? And I said, no, I don't think I am, actually. So she then got the head of college who came over, and is an old friend, actually, from you know, university days. And she took me by the shoulder, frog-marched me out to my car and sent me home. Told me not to come back until I was well again, which was, she had had experience of mental health problems in her own family, so that was exactly the right right thing to do. Is just take control, take this wee man out in his car, make sure he's safe to drive home, and send him away. But that, I mean, that was a shock to everyone in the school because no one, mm-hmm. no, I, I kind of saw it coming and was trying to pretend I couldn't, but ever, no one saw it coming, and. Um,
0: and were you pushing through, pushing through, and making it, making people's making you seem okay to people was yes. that and was that a goal of yours i've got to seem okay i've got, I've got to, to well
2: i've got yeah. to seem okay because i've got to solve all the problems the school's got and it, okay anyway
0: and then how long did you stay at home before coming back
2: about six weeks right
0: okay that was, was actually a, quite quick it was quite it was, quick to well it didn't as, feel quick at the time it,
2: but it felt like mm. forever mm. um i came back but i didn't come back as head of school uh, okay. i saw occupational health and realized that coming back to head of school the issues that had brought me down we uh, were still there. Mm. And if I went back as head of school, they'd mm-hmm. probably bring me down again. Although I was actually quite well enough to go back and do that. Mm. I hadn't lost my vulnerability to that particular thing. Um, so it seemed like a long time, but actually I got to the point that going back, like I said earlier, going back was better than not going back.
0: Because mm-hmm.
2: I was starting to worry about things not happening and people that I wasn't looking after. My PhD students were floating. So I had to go back. Probably before I was completely well, but going back helped me to get well.
0: Okay, yeah. So it was that. So getting that um, yeah, you the cusp, ba- balance. Yeah. It's it's a, it's. I think there's a fine art to that, actually, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Knowing is this is this the am I now at the pivot where yeah, the it would be to better to go back? I would get better by going back.
2: It was like Stephanie said earlier. She took a year out, and that's a balance. You know, mm. would would you be better? Some people would be better cracking on and just filling their lives with stuff. Other people are far better to take the time out and just let it let it settle and then come back when you're well again. Mm. It's not an easy decision, but it's and it is a decision you have to make, and nobody can really make it for you. Mm. And I'm sure that some people get it wrong. It, what, what I did coming back after six weeks and sort of easing back into, and then taking on more roles, so I'm now assistant principal, so I, I went up another
0: mm. sort of route of, mm. of
2: doing what I feel is important.
0: Mm.
2: Um, that's a process as well.
0: Yeah, but that's also a, a, a big... Um, thing to realise isn't it and a big learning point that sometimes if you've had to step back and take time out you might think what if this is the sort of end of the line you know but mm-hmm. actually of course it isn't mm-hmm. and um you know you've come back and and you say you're you're doing your studying and um and Alan you came back and took on a whole new role which you wouldn't mm-hmm. probably didn't see before
2: but if you'd seen me when I was off yeah. in the early stages of that, what was in my head was, "I'll never work again. Yeah. I'm, I'm knackered. Yeah. I'm toast. Yeah. Um, the school will take me back, and I'll be an expensive professor, I'm not doing anything. I'll be a waste of space and a burden on the university." So all these things, when you're in mm-hmm. that black dog place, these are the things that go through your head. I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not worth anything. I can't do this anymore.
0: And you can't imagine. <clears throat>
2: you can't imagine it. life
0: picking up, or even yeah. taking on anything. Even life looking different and being new, there being new things. that mm-hmm. So so the assistant principal was completely new. You wouldn't have seen it beforehand, it was, and you wouldn't have seen it while you were at home. So our, um, in
2: fact, our, our rector at St James in Pennycook, then, was a guy called Rob Warren, who was an Episcopal priest, and he said to me, one door closes another one opens.
0: Hmm. And
2: he gave me a book called The Ulyssian Adult.
0: Oh, I don't know that.
2: Which um, one chapter of it is about Ulysses. Greek, he was a Greek guy, wasn't he? got washed up on the shore, he was he was wrecked, he was ruined, he was dying and a woman came along and made him better and he became head of the army and bashed all the baddies. So that, that sort of vision mm. of, of being on the shore, washed up, mm-hmm. that, that, that was immensely helpful mm. actually just as a kind of way of thinking. Here I am, washed up on the shore I'm knackered, I'm toast, I'll never work again. Actually no I got better and found a new thing to do and Found that I enjoyed the old things I used to do. I and mean, the danger sign for me actually was that I wasn't taking my guitar off the wall to play it. Okay. So that's the yeah. sort of thing to watch for when you can't be bothered yeah. doing the things that give you pleasure. Go and see
0: someone. That's really helpful. Yeah. So you can you can know the the no. signs. For yeah, me, that's, well, for
2: me it's a guitar. For others, it mm. might be going for a walk, playing football. Mm. For me, if I didn't take my guitar off the wall at least five times a week to sit and have a long noodle on the guitar, then there's something wrong.
0: What can you remember about the time the, the, your year at home, when you took the year off, what was that like? Um,
1: well, I did kind of feel bad about myself for a lot of the time actually, like to start with, I kind of struggled to kind of be okay about it kind of thing, but again I think that was kind of the high standards I had of myself and things like that.
2: Did you sort of think your studying life had come to an end and this was exactly. it? Exactly. You were not washed up in the shore?
1: Yeah, so yeah, it just made me feel quite anxious and kind of stuck a little bit but mm-hmm. but yeah like like looking back now I do realise like the time away was good because there were just changes kind of going on and um, yeah I think everyone deserves a little break really when they've been through something quite difficult so um, it was hard for a while but you know eventually I kind of realised that no this is like what I've decided to do and I have to try and make the most of it and it wasn't you know being a bit for perfectionist and that kind of thing it really wasn't like <laughs> Just easy like that, you know. It was still hard for me to kind of deal with what I decided to do.
0: So you were que- you were questioning. So having decided, yeah, there were, it sounds as though when you decided there was a moment where you thought actually that's what I need to do, but but then you were questioning yourself a bit nonetheless when you were at home. Yeah, like mm. I wasn't
1: doubting my decision, but I was just mm. kind of doubting. Like I was just feeling quite unconfident and mm. yeah, like feeling like I'd kind of failed basically right. for making the decision. Right. But obviously, I mean, time went by and, you know, the year did go by quite quick. Um, and, you know, there I was back at university again. You know, it...
0: <laughs> what was that like? What was it like coming back?
1: Um, it was really hard. Like, I did feel ready. I did feel quite ready. Um, I did feel kind of excited and um, excited about what I was going to study. And, yeah, just being around, like, the university kind of life again, I was quite looking forward to it. I did kind of struggle with um, my mental health, though, um, as time went on, and um, managing, again, (laughs) my mental health. But, yeah, no, initially coming back, like, there was nothing wrong, and it was all all good. I have enjoyed, I definitely have enjoyed kind of having, you know, being able to stick my head in the book and have that to to focus on. Yeah, have something to focus on that I really, really enjoy. You know, having that again has
0: been really good. Um, So the studies have helped... Yeah, I would yeah. say so for mm-hmm. sure. Like
1: having, yeah, having something that kind of keeps you going and yeah, it makes you feel quite driven can really help. So
0: mm. That. Mm. yeah. And when you were saying you, you you struggled with your mental health, what did you what did you do um, to get yourself some support at this time? Did you speak to people? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, so I I had a well, I have a mental health mentor with the disability service. Um, I decided to sign up for that because I just wanted to, you know, um have kind of some support which like by someone that kind of understood, you know, university life, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, but also understood mental health and you just someone that and you wouldn't judge me and that understood yeah. really kind of Great. that kind of thing. So yeah, that really helped. And again, my GP to kind of, you know, sort like medication out and things like that. And yeah just kind of my family as well like keeping them in touch um, keeping in touch with them trying to keep connected to them as much as I can because you know I'm quite close with my family mm-hmm. and yeah eventually I kind of you know I didn't for a while to start with because I didn't really need to but did eventually kind of decide to um see a therapist as well mm-hmm. Um, just because you know my mental health was um kind of causing some issues in my life so yeah I decided to see a therapist as well which Again, it was not the easiest decision, but yeah, you know, I kind of knew it was
0: a good idea for me. So that's kind of what <laughs> good I for to you. Do. I think it's when I did we have a lot of support. Yeah, so. no, that's well. Thanks for telling us that because I think it's when you when we start to notice that things are affecting our lives in ways that we don't want them to affect our lives, then it's 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 really good to take action at that point, isn't it? Some, sometimes, sometimes we med- don't. Sometimes
2: <laughs> medication is part of the. Part sometimes of the medication is. Yeah. And people, yeah. people say, Ooh, "Don't take these things; that are addictive." No, these are now carefully crafted chemicals that do very particular things. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes they are part of the solution, either temporarily or permanently, mm. depending on mm-hmm. what it is that's troubling you. Yeah,
0: yeah. But it's that it's that noticing. So, Alan, you talked about the noticing. So you noticed um, that you weren't, bringing the guitar down well, for example that.
2: i noticed that afterwards
0: afterwards okay okay Too late. but no but not okay so for then but it's a lesson learned now mm-hmm. looking moving forward isn't yeah. it and
2: it's, I think and it's it's an attunement i think it's probably an a, a gener- generic lesson for everyone yeah if yeah. you find that you're not doing things that normally give you pleasure yeah was there was anything that yeah. you found like that when you were yeah yeah so
1: yes yeah, so i didn't feel like reading anymore like uh-huh. i like to read like at night you know like just like fiction or whatever really um, mainly fiction because it's like a way to escape really mm. Um, yeah like I didn't feel like yes yeah, so I'm trying to think when I kind of stopped doing that I think it was before the summer I kind of just didn't feel like reading anymore there was just nothing that appealed to me you know and yeah that's kind of, that was kind of a sign like oh okay you know because it's, 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 it's like a way that I can relax and it's like a escape at the end of the day and I didn't have the energy really I didn't have the concentration to, to kind of choose what to read and then actually read.
2: It's sort of perverse because it's causing you not to do one of the things that will probably make you feel better.
0: Exactly, Mm. yes. It's really, really annoying. It's like a malfunction. (laughs) It's like a a switch that's gone the wrong direction. Which
2: What you really want to do is (laughs) Control-Alt-Delete and then wait for the blue screen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I have only just recently started getting back into reading again and I realise again how much I like it, you know. Mm. And So yeah, I have got back into it but it's just taken a bit of time and...
0: Reading is really good, and literature reading. I, I came across a statistic um, which amazed me actually that that six, even six minutes of reading a yeah, day. Yeah, I
1: read. I heard. Did that you hear that too? Yes.
0: astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, six, six. Six minutes, six even six reading. minutes, That's which funny. sometimes actually is all I manage because I, I read I read my novels when I go to bed and then I fall asleep quite quickly. So I imagine yeah. that actually six minutes is probably about it. But if I do put side time aside to read outside of that, it does make me feel so much better. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a, a spiritual writer I really uh, admire called Eugene Peterson, and he had um, he had a breakdown, and the way that he got himself through that was he prescribed himself two hours of Dostoevsky
2: me <laughs> that's a rather st- stiff medicine. Stiff,
0: stiff medicine, yeah, mm. absolutely. But um,
2: talking, maybe.
0: But, <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> no, but but I mean that I thought that's wow, and I did. I started reading um, quite a lot, and because he's such an existential writer, mm. he takes you through the gamut of human emotions, and it's it's a bit like what what we I think we've talked about this, but being aware that, that other people feel these things, mm. that their lives can be completely rocked, that they, you know, they're questioning everything. It's helpful to dip into other people's lives doing that for a while, to mm. give you perspective and to think, OK, that, you know, I can relate mm-hmm. to that narrative. And- yeah. well, I, wouldn't yeah.
2: be, I wouldn't be nearly as intellectual as that. My, <laughs> my reading of choice would either be Winnie the Pooh, yeah. Rupert Bair, Tol- yeah. Tolkien...
0: They've all got loads of wisdom in there, haven't they? they have lots of delivered wisdom, yeah. in, I and mean, then Winnie the Pooh delivered in, in lovely little simple ways, but they're so prof- oh, sort to, of the, profound. The
2: writing in that is just gorgeous. I mean, mm. The way A. 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 Milne talks you through these odd little scenarios, I just find it makes me. That's something I can't read and feel unhappy. It's not possible yeah, to read yeah. Winnie the Pooh and or mm-hmm. listen to Alan Bennett reading it, even oh, better. Oh yes,
0: yes, um,
2: yeah. You can't not smile at that. No, but then, you, you do need energy to read.
0: You do need energy if, to do it. If read. you do
2: it, you do feel better, but you don't have the energy to do it, so you don't no. do it, so you don't yeah, feel better.
0: No. And it's the same with going yeah. for walks and all these things that make yeah. us feel better. You need the energy, so actually, it's really here's a good bit. It's a good learning, isn't it? That the, the, a signal can be and something to notice if you're finding yourself not doing those things which you usually enjoy and which which you know make you feel better, but nonetheless you haven't got the energy. Then it's a good time to go and talk mm-hmm. to somebody. Does yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: But I think they, I think you also have to accept, and something I maybe Stephanie can comment on this. I found when I initially crashed, there was no way I was picking my guitar up or going for a walk or reading a book. I just wanted to be left to lie still, and be miserable for a bit. Mm. And I I don't know what a, a psychiatrist would say, but I kind of think that's almost a necessary phase. You have to allow yourself to be washed up on the shore, not moving, just say, okay, this is crap, um, but I can't do anything right now. But come Thursday, I will bring my guitar down and I will play for a bit. Mm. Did you because, find that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like it's not a bad thing to kind of not do the things you enjoy. Like you shouldn't force it, you know, no. because like you won't enjoy it then if you force it. So yeah, you'll spoil it. Um, so yeah, it's not a bad thing, you know. Don't don't be ashamed of it, but just you kind of get, recognize get over it, it, it.
2: And yeah. get past it, be aware
1: of it, and just be patient, really. And yeah. I mean, if you work on yourself and kind of what's going on, eventually, you know, you'll feel like doing it again, hopefully. I um, can't,
2: can't get out of the bed in the morning. That's such a typical thing. You know, I'm safe in bed. I'm nice and warm. Leave me alone. Uh, and I think you need a little bit of that. And then your loved ones need to say, come on, get your arse out of bed. Do something. This is not helping.
0: But the, the time of lying on the shore or lying in the bed is... is, is is actually allowing um, you to connect with those feelings and notice them, isn't it? Whereas the the, the opposite of doing that is to push them down, mm-hmm. but pretend they're not there and push yourself through.
2: Well, maybe some, that, maybe that works for some people. I don't know. Certainly I think
0: it's a short term recipe. So I think it can work for, for getting something done quickly, but I think in the longer term, um, it, it it can actually be at the root of depression because it's p- pushing down feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, can come up as depression later on. Yeah. But, do
2: you yeah. feel like you feel for a while like you're wallowing mm. in it? And yeah. in the long term, wallowing in your feelings is not good. But I think a short yeah. wallow is probably... A short wallow. A short wallow in the mud is isn't, probably a
0: good thing. There's something honest about it, isn't there? It? It's the honesty, isn't it? It's the honesty just accepting is this is where yeah. I am. I'm, I'm knackered. Yeah.
2: yeah, I'll become unknackered, but not today.
0: Yeah. should we take a short break? Yeah, I'd like yeah. to take a short water, break. actually. yeah. yeah. We've just been having a little break and we've been looking at some postcards and you've each chosen one. Alan, do you want to tell us what what you've chosen?
2: Yes, and this, is, um, this sort of expresses something which appears in some songs that I know as well. I'll read it out. All we can control in this silly and wildly perfect life is the love that we choose to give out without any regard to ever getting it back in return. That'll do for me.
1: Stephanie, what have you chosen? Um, I've got There is time to make things right, to put things where they should have been put from the beginning. We convince ourselves that we're stuck where we've chosen to stick and nothing can change it. Every moment we can begin again. Every moment you can become whomever you have waited to become. So nice, isn't it? Yeah, that's really nice.
0: These are from the typewriter series by Tyler Knott Gregson, who um, just literally just jot these things down as Mm -hmm. they come to him. Can I
2: do my Leonard Cohen quote now? Do your
0: Leonard Cohen quote. That was helpful. If
2: you ever get a personal email from me, you'll get on that one of my favourite sayings. He's not my favourite songwriter because he's a gloomy so-and-so. But this is just lovely. It says, um, Ring out the bells that still can ring. Forget that perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in.
0: And that's a good one to take us into what we want to talk about now, which is... um, Well, I suppose, partly in a way, the fear of not being perfect, but specifically Mm. the fear of of failing or of having failed.
2: Yes, I I suffer that one badly, retrospectively. Um, I have a sort of horror of letting people down, both personally with my family that's, I think we talked about it earlier, making things perfect and making everyone happy all the time and failing to do that, for me, is the worst kind of failure. and makes me feel really bad about myself. And it happened at work because there was some difficulties at work that um, some colleagues were causing students to suffer. I won't go into any detail because it wouldn't be appropriate. And I found out about this and the student suffering was bulimia, anorexia, depression because of the behaviour of two colleagues. And when I found that had been going on on my watch and I hadn't done anything about it, uh, I brooded about that over Christmas holidays and then just crumpled. So that was my feeling of failure, that I should have protected these young people. They were in my care. It was my job to make their lives as nice as possible. I'd known about the problems when I took on the job as head of school, but I kidded myself. I would be the sort of knight on the white steed that would come and sort it all out because I was such a nice person. And I was wrong. The problems were not solvable. Um, But my trying to solve them and doing this perfectionist thing and failing Brought me to my mental knees. And it was all or- horrible.
0: Mm-hmm. Truly mm-hmm. horrible. Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> I think, I mean, I have to say, I think I probably have a tendency towards that sort of thing because my grandfather and his father both committed suicide. So there's clearly a, a tendency to something not good in my family. And my doctor reckons I may have a serotonin deficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm obviously prone to that. And it comes out. It comes out in me as a sort of fierce self-criticism that if I haven't done things and I haven't sorted things for people, it's not really that I will be blamed, it's not being blamed, it's the feeling that I have failed in something that's important. That's what I'm about, I'm about making my family happy. If I can't do that, then that's a bad thing and I beat myself up about it.
0: How old were you when your father died then, when your father took his life?
2: Um, it was not my father, my, was, my grandfather. Oh, your grandfather. I think right. I was three, so right, I mean, okay. I didn't, I don't really remember him okay. at all. Right. And his father was obviously years before that.
0: So it was your grandfather and your great grandfather. It was my grandfather yeah. and my great
2: grandfather, yeah. yeah. my mother's side. Yeah.
0: On your mother's side. Yeah. And did your did <clears throat> your parents talk to you about it?
2: No, that was no, covered right. up until I was quite old. I discovered that my grandfather had died that way, and it wasn't until my wife started doing genealogy that I found out that my grandfather's father had also. Died the same way because it's mm. on his death certificate. So mm. that's now a sort of well known family fact, and we're all aware of this, you know, these, these DNA coursing through our veins.
0: Mm. And what was it like to discover that? <clears throat> um,
2: I have to say it was just interesting because I discovered it at a time when I was feeling young and bulletproof, so
0: right.
2: it didn't worry me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It now doesn't worry me because I don't feel any uh, desire to kill myself, but it now puts a lot of things in context that mm. there's obviously a degenetic something going on mm. there. Uh, and I'd, nobody, my mum's now dead, so I can't find out what was troubling my grandfather or his father. We can speculate. Um, but I know my grandfather was in and out of uh, Rigmore Hospital in, not Rigmore, um, Craig Dunane in, in Inverness. Okay. And had electric shock therapy and all sorts of things, so he was pretty bad. Mm. Uh, so I know that's in my family. I know that's probably in my DNA.
0: It is helpful to know our family history, isn't it? But well, part, y- partly on the health rise and partly on yeah, knowing what people, knowing what they have gone through.
2: unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. It's not like I've got um, Huntington's disease because if you've got that in your family, then that's really dreadful it's diff- to
0: know. really difficult.
2: Depression is one that I now can sort of be a bit kinder on myself in a mm. way. I can think, okay, well maybe, maybe it's not all my fault. Maybe I'm prone to this sort of thing, and this is how it's come out in later life. And I'm beginning to feel the cracks are there, and that's how the light's getting in. Um,
0: but the but the area where you might be hard on yourself, have I, I heard you right, is where you think you may have failed?
2: Oh, I was, I was, I was absolutely unforgiving with myself. Okay. I was absolutely brutal.
0: Right. And what would you say to yourself now?
2: Oh, stop being nasty to this little man. He's doing his best.
0: Yeah. So you've changed the inner voice. Yes. You've changed yes, the way you speak to yourself. I'm
2: much more inclined to be kind to myself and let myself off with things. As long as I don't let myself off with everything forever, but I mean, I'm much more prepared to affect, accept that I cannot make the world perfect, and actually, it's not very healthy to do that. There's too much responsibility for any one person to carry.
0: So, what enabled you to make that switch? Was it that you've put too much responsibility on yourself, and now you've made yourself crumple? Was it? Was it that? What was the turning? Point?
2: Well, I mean, what it told me is in a way that um, what it told me is and I'll go back to weaknesses. One of my weaknesses as a Manager as a sort of senior manager is that I cannot switch off empathy.
0: Right.
2: I feel I feel other people's pain. Yes. And I cannot not do that. And I think to be a really perfect manager, you need a button on your front that says empathy off. So you can switch it mm. off, do what you have to do, which might be quite brutal, then switch it back on again. Mm. I do not have that button, um, and that's that is my weakness, if you like, as a manager of people. If I'd been the manager of a big school with financial difficulties, which it had, and lots of awkward people, which it has, and lots of lovely and, and wonderful people, which it has, without the two particular problems that hit my button, I would have been okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They, they always say that you know, in HR terms it's two people or two percent that give you all the trouble.
0: Mm.
2: I have to tell you that's true. And if if you are like me, that you have that weakness, if, if it's a strength in some ways, but it's a weakness in that particular context. If you have that, then they're going to nail you. And they nailed me and uh, brought me to a standstill. Okay. And then I realised actually in my, when I was being washed up on the shore that going back to that role because the two people were still there was not going to be a good idea.
0: Okay.
2: So that, that was a feeling of failure.
0: Right.
2: Because in a sense, I had failed. I'd shown my weaknesses and failed at that particular task.
0: And would you still frame it as failure?
2: Well, I failed to solve the problem, but I now okay. accept that the problem was not solvable. Okay. We simply had to wait till these people went away and stopped harming others.
0: Right.
2: Uh, so I, I can I can now rationalize it. I still regret that I, there was lots of things about being head of school I absolutely loved. I loved the graduation. I loved mm. doing front of house stuff with the students. I absolutely loved the promotions round where we prepared people for promotion because that's where you get good people doing good stuff and you get them rewarded for it. That's enormously satisfying. Yes. So I loved all of that stuff. I even quite liked trying to solve the financial problems because that was a bit like solving a puzzle.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When people are being unpleasant to people and causing distress to students and colleagues, and you can't do anything about it, that I found really hard to cope
0: with. Really hard. Yeah.
2: So that's yeah. my that's my managerial weakness is that I can't cope with failure in that regard. If if I if I hadn't managed to balance the budget, I wouldn't have
0: collapsed. No.
2: Um, if the buildings were in crap state I wouldn't have collapsed but people suffering and me watching them and feeling I should have been able to stop that because as head of school you are the pinch point you know you're the budget holder you're responsible for what goes on in your school so you are actually quite responsible and that responsibility just absolutely killed me
0: Right. Okay. and you've said that um your fear of your fear around mm. failure is is more about how the harshness with which you can judge yourself afterwards, rather than it stopping you from well, taking not, a ta- taking on no. a challenge. It's the, it's it's how you judge yourself afterwards. That's
2: right? a useful distinction. I mean, yeah. I now, I think I'm now better at realising a particular thing. That I'm probably not going to fail at because I would not go into a job like that again, knowing that that I can't do that sort of thing. I can't switch off and be brutal temporarily. Mm-hmm. I, now I, mean, would, I now would not take on a job that required that, and the assistant principal job doesn't. Yeah, it's quite a responsible job. It's difficult. I have to deal with people's opinions that don't always coincide with mine. That doesn't trouble me a jot. Mm-hmm. It's when I feel that I'm letting people down and people are suffering because of something I haven't done. Right. So I simply wouldn't take on that. Uh, and I think I've, as a, in the consequence of that, I've also learned the things I'm good at.
0: Yes, that's and that's that's a great learning from what bit, we might call failure or an outcome I mean, often, I mean every failure is actually just an outcome isn't it? It's really? just a, well yeah. It's, um, it's growth, a, it's discovering yes. yourself Yes, yeah
2: In fact yeah. some would say we don't, we don't allow or encourage our students to fail often enough because mm-hmm. mm. it's by trying something and failing that you learn about yourself and yeah. maybe it's not quite as spectacular as my collapse, but you know the odd failure doesn't do you any harm because no. that's how you learn how not to do things.
0: Often it's a very noble thing, isn't it because you've tried. <laughs> it's <laughs> you noble, yeah, exactly. it's noble to try, yeah. 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 and it's yeah. it's not ignoble to have to have not. A, you know, accomplish the thing you had intended. Absolutely. It's not, not an ignoble. Yeah. I don't think we need yeah. to encourage
2: our students to do utterly stupid things that are no. demonstrably stupid. No. <laughs> but things that look yeah. like a good idea and are worth a pop.
1: Yeah, have a,
0: absolutely. Have a go. Absolutely. seen as a so
1: strength pop. to try without knowing the outcome. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then managing whatever the outcome is. Yeah.
0: Completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So do you relate to a fear of failure at all, Stephanie? Is it? Um,
1: yeah, I guess so. Um, Yeah, I think grade wise, kind of, um, I'm kind of scared to start like a, a certain thing just because I don't, I just worry that I won't get a grade I want or something, like, I won't meet my expectations. It can kind of lead me to, yeah, to not doing things and not fulfilling what I can do because I just worry that I won't satisfy myself, basically.
0: Can it be? A de- um, is it a demotivator then? Is it, is it, does it make it hard to get started on uh, yeah. a vision or a project? Yeah, more getting or-
1: started is the hard part. Right, okay. um, but when I'm started, you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting started is kind of the hardest part for okay. sure. Um,
2: so what are your strategies for getting over that? Because, I mean, you need something that says, right, I'm now going to do this and get cracking. Yeah. And once you're in your stride or on your bicycle, you won't fall off.
1: Yeah, it's uh, quite hard. Um, I suppose just kind of remembering what like the reason is you're doing it for and to realize like to realize that maybe it could be worth the risks you know to try and think okay well if I do this you know I try you know what could the outcome be what could a good outcome be
2: Mm
1: -hmm. so yeah it's just kind of putting things into perspective I think can help
2: the other thing I find helpful is to say think well I've done things like this before and I didn't mess up so it can't be that different Mm yeah and the other is you know what's the worst that can happen here well the worst that can happen is I fail and I'll do a reset that's not the end of the world
1: yeah exactly so trying
2: to try to get in perspective that's sort of yeah you know, that's how i deal with worrying about whether i'm going to be able to do this thing to my satisfaction
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think what's the worst that can happen is a great question actually cause yeah. it, it's uh, very seldom it's, the it's worst that can happen is really bad it's no that's right exactly yeah or, or and if it turns out to be something quite on a tangent, then you realise your your fears are actually really about something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The worst that's happened is you know you might think well the worst that happens is that everyone hates me, <laughs> yes. yeah. um, which yeah. isn't going to happen actually. <laughs> no. The entire
2: it's world not, deciding to hate not, you. Not really likely.
0: <laughs> it's not going to happen. But it also shows where the root of that concern is that mm. you know so it's quite yeah a hard yeah, question. yeah exactly yeah. What do you think you've learnt from? Um, how do, you, how do you turn a difficult situation into positive? What are the ways of doing that?
1: That's really not easy to be honest. Um, but I feel like I kind of I do have like an inner nature of being quite positive and optimistic, and I've kind of always had that to an extent. Um, but you know, I think it is something that can be learned for sure. Um, I would just say, um, yeah, like getting the world in perspective and realizing, like you know, everyone's kind of like a lot of people have gone through maybe a hard time or a failure or something and they have got back up and carried on or they've got better and done better from that. You know, I feel like taking, like looking at other people who have been through things can just really help, I feel like, to get just inspiration, I guess.
2: And part of that, what you're saying is it's not my favourite Elton John song, but he has a song called I'm Still Standing. Oh, yeah. So here you yeah. are. Yeah, I'm still yeah. here. And at the moment, actually, to be honest, you're doing you're doing something else to turn a bad thing into a good thing. And you're talking about it, and yeah. you're smiling, and other people are listening to you. So that's that. For me, that's how to turn a bad thing into a good thing. I find it very hard to do it at the time, but retrospectively, you can take this bad thing and say, "Okay, you know, here I am. I'm not dead. I'm still standing. Um, what have I? What have I found out about this? Let's be honest with other people. So if someone else is in the same position, they're not scared because they'll realise that." This bloke they thought was cheery all the time wasn't. Mm-hmm. So that's one way for me of it actually finds a part of my recovery process. If I can turn the bad thing into a good thing, then I'm allowing, I'm allowing myself to feel better about myself.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It can be a productive thing to do. That is still, you know, it still feels quite in tune with yourself. To yeah, to um.
2: For to the record, of, she's punching the air at the moment. <laughs> yeah,
1: I can't think of what I'm trying to say, but um, yeah, to like turn something negative into a positive, and to try and use the negative things constructively. You know, it's still being true to yourself, but it's it's helping you still to you know move on and get somewhere really, and to yeah, to improve yourself and your situation. If
2: you're feeling, you know, cra- if you're feeling crap about yourself, it gives you something on this posi- a positive tick on the other side.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's so, well, good. Moved on. Yeah, so I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, it would be different for everyone, but like you know, it can be it can be talking about what you've been through. It can be you know, doing a creative project, or you know, it can you know, it can be um, caring more for the people you love, or you know, it can be whatever it is that has something mm. has meaning to you, basically, to kind of help you. And it so could you're probably, you're
2: probably better be equipped now to do to to, kill, to help yeah. the people you love because you've been through this experience. Yeah. Yeah. You may not feel stronger, but you're certainly wiser.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a result of it. Yeah, and actually, you probably are stronger, even if you don't. You probably feel are in it. a funny way. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, this sort of, you know, it's like the broken bone mends more strongly. It's sort mm. of, yeah. I think one of the learn one of the things that is always a positive um, is that we learn something. We learn a lot Absolutely. actually mm-hmm. from a difficult and learning is always a positive, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, my, 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 one yeah.
2: of my fears is was um, not talking about it mm. and not being able to talk about it and being embarrassed. My other fear was becoming defined by it and talking about it all the time. Okay. Because um, there are people who, I mean I know some people mostly a bit older than me who've gone and had hip operations and I know everything there is to know about their hip operation including the colour of the bruise and how long it took to get better and what drugs they had to take and all the effects it had on their digestive system. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be defined by, I had cancer in 2009, I don't want to be defined by that. I had a breakdown in 2012. I'd like people to know that, but I don't want to be, the bloke had a a breakdown in 2012. So there's a balance, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, now that I'm Mm -hmm. 2012, seven years on from there, I'm not afraid of it. I'm here talking about it,
0: but well, I don't you, want it yeah. to
2: be the definition of what I am.
0: No. So you're drawing on it for the good, hopefully. In telling you're helping others to understand um, what it's like to have a breakdown, what they might be going mm. through themselves.
2: Without being a bore, hopefully. Without
0: being a bore, and you've got many sides to your life.
2: Mm. Many, many. Many, 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 many.
0: Many, many. <laughs> We've just been looking at the pictures of your family with the teddy bears and the Winnie the Pooh and Piglet that you made. You've got the music that you write, the books that you love. The new job that you're doing, which had you not had a breakdown, you would not be doing. No. And we would not be benefiting from you it doing would, it. I
2: would not be doing that stuff to the extent that I am. Um,
0: yeah.
2: And, uh, yeah, it's, um, I now feel immensely blessed because my life is very full and it's full of good stuff.
0: That's wonderful.
2: And undoubtedly at some point, you know, I'm 66, then things are going to go wonky at some point but hopefully not yet at the moment i'm really enjoying life
0: mm.
2: and at mm-hmm. the you know, sort of beyond the end of my career i'm 66 so i'm actually as i said earlier past myself by date to be having this much fun at work
0: that's great it's just brilliant yeah yeah Mm. And if and when things go wonky, you've got a whole load of resources that you bring to those yeah. which you which you've amassed yeah. through well, your life. They, they,
2: they will go wonky. I don't yeah. want to live forever. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, yeah,
2: no. no. end something. Will that
0: kill would me. no. Let's not wish for that. Some people wish for that. I don't.
2: forever? No,
0: no, 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 no. That would be a strain.
2: It would. Yes. I mean, yeah. and I've seen my mum live too long. Um, you know, and it wasn't. It wasn't fun. Mm. She had a rotten time for the last few years of her life, oh, and she was so. not my mum. Oh, mm-hmm. So, living um, forever is not a goal. No, no. Living disgracefully, is growing old disgracefully, is part of my goal.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, living it to the full. Yeah. That, that's another thing, actually. I think that I've learned from this is live for the moment, much more than I was doing, because I was a, an inveterate planner
0: of what mm. was going to
2: happen, of what I was going to do to make my family happy in ten years' time, in fifteen years' time. Don't be silly. Just you know, get on with it. Don't live for the moment and don't, you know, don't save money, don't spend all your money because then you're going to be unhappy. But don't spend all of your time planning, just spend a lot of your time enjoying the moment.
0: Mm. Living life.
2: Living yeah. life. Living, I mean, life. Yeah, life. living for, life
0: while we have it. Living yeah, life while I've got it
2: because I've seen, you know, from 2009, I could have been had it taken away from me.
0: Yes.
2: I always say to people, I have not um, been at death's door, but I've seen it from a distance and I don't like the look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to mess about, I'm going to make the most of what I've got.
0: hmm so you've been made aware of your mortality through your mm-hmm. illness, you've been awa- made aware of mortality through losing your dad, Yeah, and now we're saying here's to life while we have it, Yep, live it fully, try things, don't worry if mm-hmm. we fail, it's the living mm-hmm. and the trying that count.
2: Well, try to keep yeah. your failures um, sensible. <laughs> Don't, oh, jump, don't, don't jump out Why in front of cars. Why not fail disgracefully? Not <laughs> oh, disgraceful. I mean, a failure that causes people to laugh at me is fine.
0: Oh, yeah, but don't, don't, don't cause other people to... Yeah. Don't, don't, don't jump in front of a car. That, would, that would upset the drivers and yes. your family. Yeah. And make a mess. And make a mess. Lovely. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. And we'll say goodbye. We've like done a lot more laughing weird. than I expected. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Here's to laughter. Thanks. <laughs> If any of the issues in this broadcast have affected you and you'd like support, here are some helplines. First, if you feel that you or someone you are with is in danger right now, please call 999. There is a mental health assessment service for those in or near Edinburgh, which can be contacted on 0131 537 6000. For phone consultations, there is also Breathing Space, which can be contacted on 0800 838587. The Samaritans, 08457 909090. The Edinburgh Crisis Centre, you can telephone and you can also visit physically. Their number is 0808 801 0414. For university support, Nightline offers student support and information. Their number is 0131 The university staff or student counselling services and the university listening service offer daytime and some evening support and we can both be found on the university website.